2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. I'm going to read this passage to you. This is what it says. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, speak to us today. By the power of your word and spirit, we give you all praise, glory, and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to give you a little bit of background behind this story. David, at this moment, had basically seen all of his dreams come to pass. He was a, sh oh. he was a shepherd boy which means that he was the least esteemed son of his father, Jesse. Out with the sheep. That's what they did with the one that they didn't think much of. You put him out there with the sheep. He can't do much, but he sure can take care of those sheep. And God made him king of Israel. I mean, first the prophet shows up and anoints him to be king in front of his brothers and prophesies to him, that he's act, his calling is actually not to be a shepherd, but to be the king. Yeah. Then the Spirit of God anoints him to kill Goliath. And then Saul, who was the king at the time, made him commander over his armies. Okay. And then Saul found out, the king of Israel, Saul, that his daughter Michael was in love with David. Yeah. And so Saul actually was pleased about this. Why? Because Saul was secretly jealous of David and wanted to have him killed. So he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll give him one of my daughters as his wife. She'll become my informant. And through her, we'll find a way to kill David. But instead, she warned David that they were coming to kill him. Yeah. And David got away. Now, Saul is dead. David is king. He's got victory over all his enemies. He's taken the city of, of Jerusalem as the new capital of Israel. He's built a beautiful palace for himself. He's got his family, including Michael, his wife. There's a backstory there, but we ain't got time for that. And the last thing that he wants is really the most important thing. He talks about it in Psalm chapter 27 where he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. Yeah. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
What was David talking about? What he was literally saying in that psalm is, I'm glad God made me king. That's awesome. I never would have dreamed that he would make me king. I'm glad he's given me victory in every battle. That's awesome. So many moments I thought I was going to be taken out, but instead of being taken out, God gave me victory. I'm glad God gave me the city of Jerusalem as my new capital, as my new home. That's awesome. And I'm so glad he's given me the ability to build a beautiful palace for myself. But the one thing that my heart cries out for, without which none of this means anything to me, is the presence of God. David wanted to build a temple for God there on the hill of Jerusalem. He wanted in the very center of the community of Israel to be a temple for God, a place for God to dwell. What he wanted was the presence of God to be the center of the community of Israel. And why does David hunger for that so deeply? Because what marked David when he was out in the field with the sheep by himself was the presence of God. Because when you're a shepherd, you don't have much to do during the day. So he would sit there with his harp and strum his harp and he would sing songs to God. And it was just him and God out in a field with him, a harp and God. And he would sing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He wrote all of these songs to God during the desert, the wilderness season, when he was by himself, when he had no other purpose and no other hopes and no other dreams, and there was nothing else to get in the way of his gaze upon God. And he remembered the presence that he experienced out there with the sheep by himself in the fields for weeks and months at a time with nobody there but him and God and those sheeps, and he always wanted that presence to be the center of his life. And now that he's king, he wants that presence to be the center of his people. And he had a false start a few chapters before this of trying to bring the presence of God up and didn't do it right, and somebody got hurt. Because what you discover is that this whole thing about God is my homeboy, Jesus is my dog, no he ain't. You do not mishandle the presence of God. There's a level of familiarity that you do not bring with you when you come to the presence of God. He said, by those who approach me, I must be regarded as holy. And a lot of people get mad at God because they approach his presence without determining, the, without, without identifying the presence that they are approaching and they get burned. And so they run from God, or they get mad at God, or they get disillusioned with God. And and David was only in this place for three months. Because when David could not bring the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God for Israel. But when he tried to bring it up and failed, there was a guy named Obed-Edom. I talked about him a couple of years ago in a sermon called Obed-Ark. You can look it up on our Lineage podcast, on on, uh, Apple Podcasts. Obed-Edom was not even a Jew. Jew. He wasn't even an Israelite. He was Obed-Edom, meaning he was the servant of Edom. He was an Edomite. Obed means servant. But he decided that he would take the ark, and since no Israelite was willing to take it, they gave it to him. And so him and his sons were reading the manual to figure out how to deal with this thing, and and they were doing everything correctly. And the scripture said that God blessed the home of Obed-Edom because of the ark of God. And it was reported to David that everything about this man is blessed. 
Everything is blessed. His fields are blessed. His flocks are blessed. His herds are blessed. His wives are blessed. His children are blessed. His money is blessed. His investments are blessed. Everything's blessed. And it's only been three months. And David said, that's it. We can't simply leave the blessing in one man's home. We got that blessing belongs to Israel. It belongs to the entire community. But only when God resides at the center of the community does the blessing reside in the center. See, we think we can get the blessing without the presence. David says, we got to restore the presence so that we can get the blessing. And so he goes to the home of Obed-Edom. This time, they're reading the book to figure out how to do it right. They're determining how God has determined to be approached. Because we say things like, just worship in your own way. Just, you know, do your thing. Do you. However you like to work. No, no. You worship in God's own way. You worship as God has determined to be worshipped. If you want to approach him, you need to read the book to determine how he has determined to be approached. David said, let's get the book of the law out and let's read and figure out how to handle the presence of God. See, it's one thing, one fundamental skill that most believers lack is the knowledge of how to handle the presence of God. Because the presence of God will not remain in any place where it is mishandled. And here is the pinnacle of David's dreams. They finally figured out how to do it right with God. See, I figured out how to do it right with my investments, but now I finally figured out how to do it right with God. I figured out how to do it right with my wife. That's great, but I finally figured out how to do it right with God. David finally figured out how to get it right with God. And when he sees the Ark of the Covenant coming out of Obed-Edom's house, he's like, this is it. This is it. Every six paces, they stopped on the seventh and they made sacrifices. (laughs) That's Literally, They're going to journey from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, and every six paces, they're going to stop on the seventh. One, two, three, four, five, six. Stop. Make some sacrifices. let's Let's stop every seven steps to worship. Let's not take seven steps without stopping to seek the face of God. Let's let's check in with God every what if you checked in with God every seven steps? Am I still doing this right? Is my heart still right before you? Are are, are the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart still pleasing in your sight? Are you still pleased with me? Is there anything you want me to shift? Anything you want me to change? What if we stop? That's the lifestyle. I'm going to just keep checking in with God. Are we still good? Are we still good? Is there anything that that needs to shift? Anything I need to repent of? I'm ready to repent of it right now. anything Anything I need to let go of? I'm ready to let go of it right now. David said, we are not going to risk Stopping this journey. That thing's not going back to the home of Obed-Edom or Obed-anybody. Nobody gets this. This is for the community. This is for the people. This is for Israel. And this is for the the children of Abraham. And when they got to Jerusalem, and David saw the Ark of the Covenant coming up the hill, And then it was brought into the tabernacle of David and set in its place. David lost his mind. Yeah. 
He didn't shout like this when he became king. Mm -mm. He didn't shout like this when he defeated the Philistines. Mm -mm. He didn't shout like this when Solomon was born. Mm -mm -mm. He didn't shout like this when his palace was finished. But when the presence of the Lord was set in its place, when the presence of God, this was David's highest value, his highest moment of victory. And he's like, this is it. This is everything. This is all I've ever wanted. And he acted a fool. My mother would have said he acted two fools. I mean, he cut the fool in that place. He danced and twirled and danced and twirled. He was jumping and shouting and dancing and twirling and jumping and shouting and dancing and twirling and jumping and shouting and screaming and hollering and the saliva was going everywhere and the tears were flying and the snot was flowing and he didn't care. His clothes were flying everywhere. He didn't care about his clothes. He didn't care about the snot. He didn't care about, he didn't care about how he looked at that moment was completely inconsequential. Why? Because the presence of the Lord has been put in its proper place in the house. This is everything. And the rest of Israel rejoiced with them. Except one person. His wife. Now, don't get me wrong. This sermon is not about wives. Because there is the degree to which, no matter what you do, your wife will break you down. That's what they're supposed to do, okay? She's your mentor and your tormentor. If you're not eating right, she's supposed to tell you how to eat right. If you're not talking right, she's supposed to tell you you ain't talking right. But this is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not just Michael being a wife. Yeah. This is not just Michael doing what she's supposed to do. Yeah. The scripture says that when she saw him, she's sitting in the balcony of their palace. Just look at this. Look at this fool. She's calling her homegirls. Come, come over here. Lucretia. Chantel, come, come up. You see what this fool is doing? Look at him dancing like a fool. Just, just, you seen those TikTok videos where they got somebody just dancing crazy? She's like, let's make a TikTok of this fool. She's up there trolling him. She doesn't see the victory. She doesn't see the values. She doesn't see that his dreams have been fulfilled. She doesn't see that everything that God has intended for him has come to pass. All she sees is the saliva, the snot, the tears, and the clothing flying around. Yeah. All she sees is this is out of order. And she's thinking, my daddy would have never done it this way. My dad wouldn't have done that. Mm -mm. My dad was a better king than him any day. She's judging what is by the standard of what was. At that moment when she sees his victory, 
she becomes conscious of what she has lost. I'm setting you up here. We're going somewhere, I promise you. The scripture says, when it's finished, David stops dancing, and he turns around and he blesses the entire community of Israel. I bless all of y'all. I bless you by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I bless everything that pertains to you. May your families be blessed. May your flocks and your herds be blessed. The same way Obed-Edom was blessed when this thing lived only in his house, guess what? This thing now lives in our house, all of our house together. And that means the blessing that Obed-Edom had, now y'all get that blessing. All of us get that blessing because the presence of God is for everybody. It's not just for a few. It's for anyone who would draw near to that presence the way that presence has determined to be drawn near to. You get the blessing. And then he says, I'm not just going to tell you I'm blessing you. I'm going to manifest this blessing. Bring out the loaves of bread. You get a loaf of bread. You get a loaf of bread. It was like Oprah. Everybody got a loaf of bread. Look under your seat. There's a loaf of bread. <laughs> There's a cake of raisins. And what was the third thing he gave? Piece of meat. Uh, it's not a meal till there's meat. Come on, somebody. That means all the vegans got delivered. All the vegetarians got healed. <laughs> and it said everybody got their sandwich and their raisins, and they went home. It's like, oh, he fed us. The party's over. See y'all later. They left. And now David went home and said to bless his household. He's like, now let me go bless my family. Let me go bless my wives and my children. Let me go bless my sons and my daughters. Let me go bless my servants and my maidservants and my manservants. Let me go bless my house. And he goes home happy, expecting his family to celebrate with him. And he's met by his wife, Michael, and she trolls him. How glorious was the king of Israel today? You hear the sarcasm in her voice? Yeah. How glorious was the king of Israel today? Just dancing like a fool. Didn't care which way your, 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 your clothes went. Robe flying up. And the, the maidservants of Israel, the, the women of Israel just peeping you out and you don't even know it. Seeing all your stuff. How glorious was the king of Israel today? Now listen to what David says. He says, mm -mm. I wasn't dancing for them. You completely misunderstand, Michael. I wasn't dancing before the women of Israel. I was dancing before the Lord. I was dancing before the Lord. Oh, by the way, the Lord who chose me instead of your father to be king of Israel. Before him, I'll be more undignified. You think I was undignified today? Just wait. I'll be more undignified than this. Yeah. Before the Lord, I'll humiliate myself. Yeah. But before those maids of Israel, I'm going to be honored. You watch. Yeah, yeah. And then the chapter ends with this. It said, and so Michael had no children. To the day of her death. 
which actually brings the whole thing in perspective. Because it means up until that moment she had had no kids. And now because of that moment, she never had kids. Which brings perspective and context to the whole story. She was barren. And because she was barren, she was bitter. And because she was bitter, when she looked at what the king was doing, all she could think of to do was criticize. Because when you meet a critical person, you meet a barren person who's bitter because of their barrenness. I'm not saying all criticism is bad. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes criticism is just having an opinion. I don't like that team. You have every right not to like that team. That's not being critical. That's just having an opinion. I didn't like that movie. That's not being critical. That's just having an opinion. I wish they wouldn't have used that actor. I wish they would have used this actor. That's not being critical. That's just having an opinion. When I'm talking about a critical person, I'm talking about a person who sees nothing without honing in on what they don't like. And when you talk to a critical person, there's a certain bitterness that comes out. It's not just that I don't like that movie, but I'm mad about it. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm passionately against that movie. It's not just I don't like this political candidate and I wouldn't vote for him. I'm mad about it. Oh, it got real quiet. You know what I'm talking about? It's not just that I don't like that church and I would prefer to go to a different one. I'm mad about it. And there's a particular genre of critical people who their primary form of speech is the no one is doing it right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. In the realm of music, man, there's not a single rapper out there who's doing blah, 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 blah. All the rappers out there are just blah, 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 blah. Rap music, because of that, rap music is in the toilet because all the rappers are blah, blah, blah. Well, let me hear your rap music. Well, I ain't made that. You ain't got nothing. You know, ain't. None of the churches are doing blah, 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 blah. Every church I go to, they're always doing blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, let me see your church. Oh, well, you know, I ain't got to go. Man, I'm tired of going to movies because all the movies are blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Criticism is often a failure of creativity. Let me say something to you. Every single one of us has a critical bent in us. This is not an indictment of anybody. Every single one of us has a critical bent in us. And if we are not careful to tame it, to contextualize it properly, we will become critical in some area. But in any area where you have a tendency to become overly critical... Take a step back and recognize that that means that you have an idea brewing in you. 
and that the only way for you to overcome that critical bent is to find the courage to manifest that idea. You hearing me? But what I find is when I tell that to a lot of people, they are faced with the fact that when you are faced with that fact, you have two choices. You can either embrace a spirit of courage or a spirit of cowardliness. Because the cowardly are too afraid to manifest their ideas because there's a secret fear that maybe it won't be any better than the rest. So what's safer is to spend the rest of my life just criticizing everybody else. I mean, I've, I've, I've told friends this, and they think I'm just playing with them. I got friends that every time I talk to them, it's like, the churches don't do this, and blah, 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 blah. And how come no church does this, and blah, blah, blah. And the church never does this, and the church should be doing this, and the church shouldn't be doing that. And that's the problem with the church. And I was, I think you should plant a church. Like, no, that's not my calling. Oh, no, 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 I think it is. And they think I'm playing with them. I'm like, no, I'm not playing. I'm serious. Because you wouldn't be so passionate about what the church should, should and should not be doing unless you had something in you that believed that you could do it right. So go do it. And this is a, 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 an easy exercise and perhaps an incredibly fruitful exercise for every one of us. Yeah, yeah. In what area of your life are you, are you naturally the most critical? Yeah. Yeah. There's only one. You will either try to resist that critical edge, that critical urge for the rest of your life, or you'll do the opposite. You'll become an example of the opposite. Michael was bitter because she was barren. And because she was bitter in her barrenness, she became a troll. She lived under a bridge for the rest of her life. And I love trolls now. I love trolls. You know why? Because whenever I meet a troll, it means I'm doing something that you're not. And you're only attacking what I'm doing to try to feel better about the fact that you ain't doing nothing. Ooh, you're blessing me. Do you know what it means when the trolls come out? It means you've broken past your people. You've broke, you've broken out. You succeeded. Congratulations. If you ain't got no trolls, you live in a bubble. You're just a bubble boy, just walking around it, just pushing a bubble around. But as soon as the trolls come out, praise God, I'm doing something now. I'm being heard by people. And so, y'all see, I'm putting out these videos, these little 30-second reels now, 20-second, 30-second, 40-second reels. I'm putting one out every day. And you know what? For the first couple weeks, I didn't have a single troll. 
And then I put one out yesterday on Instagram, and the trolls came out of the woodwork. This is stupid. And I replied, thank you. You just blessed me. Because you know what? If you're making your own content, you ain't got no time to say somebody else's is stupid. If you write your own book, you won't have no time to talk about how stupid every other book is that you've written. If you're making your own music, you won't have any time to talk about how stupid the rest of the music is out there in the world. If you're making your own music, you won't have any time to talk about how stupid the rest of the other music is out there. Listen, when you become fruitful in the area of your gifting, in the area of your calling, in the area of your passion, the first thing you lose is the time to be critical of what anybody else is doing. And if you got time to be critical, it means you ain't doing nothing with your life. So you need to get up off of your blessed assurance and do something. Be productive and be fruitful so you don't have to be so bitter. Amen. Some of y'all just got freed from trollishness. And others of y'all just got freed from trolls. Because some of y'all have been tormented by the trolls in your life. (laughs) Y'all know I'm cryptogenic. I told you that already. I did a video a few months ago in which I made a projection. I said, Bitcoin's going to get rejected here, and then it's going to go down here, and then it's going to move off, right? And I showed in the chart, here's why I think that's the case. It's going to get rejected at this line, blah, blah, blah. And here come the trolls. One of them said, I don't know why anybody listens to this guy anymore. He's been wrong so many times. People should just stop watching his channel. And then somebody else said, I know, huh? When he says it's going to get rejected, that's when I start buying. Because if he says it's going to get rejected at 22000 that means it's going to 40 k And they had a little, com- a little troll conversation there about how wrong I was. And guess what happened that night? It got rejected and went down to where I said it would. Come on, somebody. And you know what I did the next day? I made a video for those two trolls. And I showed their comments. Look at what these fools said. Cryptogenic is wrong. Oh, yeah? Well, look at this chart, fool. It did exactly what I said it would do. Test me again. And now I had all these comments from my followers. And one guy said, why are you making a video for them? There were 43 comments on yesterday's video. 41 of them were positive. And you made a video for the two negative people. (laughs) Stop making content for trolls. Make content for us. I made a decision. You just set me free. You just set me. I'll never make another video for a troll again in my life. I'll never preach another sermon to a troll. I'll never, I'll not, I'll not be mad at troll. You can troll me all you want. It just blesses me now. Come on, somebody. It blesses me now. You know what I'm waiting for? The sign that you're being heard as a preacher is that somebody makes an expose video about you on YouTube and somebody tries to expose you as a false prophet. Until you put Benjamin Robinson in the search engine and see videos come up saying false prophet, I haven't made it yet.
Because part of the fear that keeps you barren and unproductive is fear of rejection. And when you come to grips with that fear and start to produce something anyway, that's a second reason why your criticism dies. Because when you're just thinking about what you could do in your mind, you're 100% successful in that realm of fantasy. But when you actually start to do it, then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, huh? Because I mean, all of us at some point growing up were critical of our parents. To some degree or another. And sometimes you were right and sometimes you were wrong. But you're not able to discern that till you have your own kids. And then you're like, oh, hey, mom, you know, uh, <laughs> remember I used to say, uh, <laughs> fruitfulness kills the bitterness of barrenness. And if you feel any type of bitterness that causes you to become critical. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up about it. And don't waste any time on shame. Yeah. One thing the Lord spoke to me last week is don't waste a single failure on shame. Yeah. Shame is a waste of a good failure. Yeah. Because shame inhibits the ability to reflect and learn. And reflection and learning transforms failure into experience, yeah, yeah. which protects you from future failure. Yeah. And so if you're falling into the same trap again and again and again and again and again and again, it's probably because you're wasting every one of those failures on shame. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. And that shame inhibits you from being able to reflect and learn from that failure. Yeah. And that's why you're doomed to repeat it. So don't be ashamed. Make a decision to become fruitful. Amen. And that's the beautiful thing, is that you can become fruitful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I learned and that I've been discovering, been coming to grips with, let me tell you what a midlife crisis is. I'll define it for you. When I was 20, I got a good idea, and I thought, one day I'm going to do this. But when I hit 45, I got a good idea, and I realized that idea that one day I'm going to do this is not necessarily correct. Yeah. That I may live the rest of my life and never do this. Yeah. And that's what a midlife crisis is. The stuff that I just thought is absolutely going to happen when I was 25, I hit 45, and it's like, dang, that may not happen. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, <laughs> this may sound silly. But at 45, you realize that it's not going to happen unless you do it. <laughs> so all those books that you're talking about writing are not going to write themselves. You just thought one day it would happen. No, books don't happen. And the second thing is to recognize that fruitfulness takes diligence. Yes, and all diligence is, 
is going back to the same task every single day yeah. until it's done. Yes. That's all. Yeah. Meaning if God's put it in you to write books, we'll start writing one today and keep coming back to it every day until it's done. But if you're preparing, and you've been preparing for 25 years to write that book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting ready, you know, I'm just uh, trying to think it through. I'm just getting, I'm getting ready, and, you know, i got to get you know, move some stuff around. No, you don't. You start the book today yeah. and come back to it every day until it's done. Yeah. If God's put it in you to start a company, you start working on that company today and go back to it every day until it's done. Because, listen, I know my wife and I were not able to have to conceive a child for nine years. You know what we did for nine years? We didn't stop until it was done. I don't have to spell it out for you, but we were diligent. We put our hands to the plow. You know what happens when you decide to work in the area of your creativity daily? You build momentum. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. You build momentum around that task. Yep. This is the last piece I'll give you, and then I'm going to close. What keeps you barren in the area of your creativity is the inability to distinguish between your creative brain and your editing brain. You know what writer's block is? Writer's block is when the editor and the writer are trying to function at the same time. So I got nothing to say. That's because your editor's going, that's not good, that's not good, that's not good, that's not good. Turn off the editor, which means stop trying to create something good and just create. Give yourself permission to write a bad chapter. You can't write a good chapter to maybe you've written 10 bad ones. So let's get the 10 bad ones out of the way. Stop trying to write good songs and just write songs. Give yourself permission to write bad songs. You want to write a good song? You might have to write 100 bad songs first. Let's get those 100 bad songs out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just get to it. Good. This is what I wrote. Good or bad, I don't care. I wrote and come back to it every day. 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 And you'll look back six months later and say, I haven't criticized anybody in the last six months. All of that burning and anger I used to feel, I don't feel it anymore. You know why? Because I'm doing something that matters. I'm doing something that makes sense. I'm doing something that, that is manifesting. I'm taking a risk to manifest what I believe is the greatness in me. I'm taking a risk that it might not be great, but you know what? You'll never know if you don't manifest it. Saul should have been focusing on becoming fruitful. Instead, she became critical. And because of that, there was no intimacy between her and David that night. When a man says he's going home to bless his family, you better believe he's got something in mind for him and his wife tonight. But he went to his own chamber that night. She cut herself off from intimacy that could have made her fruitful because she was critical. For some of us today, the intimacy with God that could make you fruitful yeah. is out of your reach because you're just too critical yeah. all the time. Yeah. And God is saying, just, just come to me tonight. But it takes courage. Yeah. 
And you haven't done it yet because you've been a coward. And until you come to grips with that, you'll never find courage. The courage to create. The courage to create. I want it to be good. Give up that dream. It's just got to be real. It's just got to be real. It's what I got. It's what I got. Wanting to create good songs kept me from producing music for 20 years. Because I produce it, it's not good. And then I wouldn't put it out. And I produce it again, it's not good. And I wouldn't put it out. When I gave up on that dream of it being good, that's when I started just putting out music. And even to this day, I don't know if it's good or not. I think it's good, but, you know, I got seven listens, so I guess nobody else does, but that's okay. (laughs) I keep getting those reports from Apple Music and Spotify. Here's your weekly report. You open it up, you got three listens. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to put out the next one. I'm already working on the next one. I wrote a song for my wife. It's coming out on Valentine's Day. Don't clap because it may not be good. I'm not promising you it's good. I'm not promising it's going to be good, but I'm promising it's going to be real. It's what I can do right now. But you know what? A year from now, I'll be able to do better. And a year from now, I'll be able to do better. And a year from now, I'll be able to do better. Why? Because I'm not going to stop. You need to make that decision. I'm not going to stop. 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 God has put creativity on the inside of you. He's put ideas on the inside of you. He's put greatness on the inside of you. He's put wisdom on the inside of you. Manifest it. Wake up every day and say, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to sit under it anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to procrastinate for another minute. I'm going to manifest what God has put in me today. And I guarantee you'll sleep better every night. You'll sleep better every night because I broke through that that realm of resistance that tries to stop me from manifesting what God's put on the inside of me. I sleep in peace every night. Why? Because I fought every day to manifest what God put in me. Come on, somebody. Amen. Stand up on your feet and lift your hands to the Lord. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters today. Everyone under the sound of my voice, I thank you that there is freedom in the atmosphere freedom in the atmosphere freedom in the atmosphere freedom in the atmosphere you're delivering us from a critical spirit you're delivering us from a critical spirit that each and every one in this this auditorium under the sound of my voice on the live stream and even listening to the podcast later in the week I free you to just do you just to be the you that God has created you to be to manifest the creativity that God put in you The ideas that he gave you aren't like what he's given anybody else. And that's why you can become critical of other people. But instead of becoming critical, become creative. Instead of becoming critical, become productive. Instead of becoming critical, go do something. Go make something. Go build something. And then look at it every day and take delight in what your hands have made. That's what God did. That's what God did. And give yourself permission to take delight in what your hands have made. You need to stop and rejoice every week. Every Sunday, you need to stop and look back over the last six days and say, look what I built over the last six days. Take delight in what your hands have made. Say, it is good. Say, it is good. You need to look at what you've done and say, it is good. It might not be good to nobody else, but it's good to me. And you know why it's good to me? Because it's what God gave me this week. It's the best I could do this week. So it's good to me. Nobody has to agree. Me and God agree. 
Me and God agree. The trolls might come at me. It doesn't matter. God is applauding me. Why? Because I did what he gave me to do this week. Father, I speak your blessing over your sons and daughters today. Great encouragement. Great encouragement. And make us productive and creative in all that you've given us. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious mighty name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. We're going to be free in 23. Come on, somebody. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, and may the joy of the Lord be your strength.